Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in beautiful Secaucus, New Jersey, where I just cannot quit this WSOP circuit series every single month. What what am I doing this time? It's called the Planet Hollywood Winter Championship Circuit. I don't even know anymore, but what I do know is that I'm ready to break my downslide. I mean, things have been trending in the wrong direction for a few months now uh, for me poker-wise. And I've even taken some of the key hands that I played in big spots in various tournaments, some of which I've discussed on this podcast and some I have not, uh, and plugged them into the old solver, the old Pio solver. And, you know, uh, I'm happy to say that I, I haven't really done anything that was way off or or really bad like theoretically uh just this is the way it goes sometimes in tournament poker that you can have tremendous success or you can go on a downslide it's not going to be my last one it's definitely not my first uh it's not that i haven't cashed in anything at all in the last few months it's just i i haven't made that many final tables and i haven't won anything and i believe that Finishing very high every so often is essential to my playing style because, as you guys know, I admittedly don't pay quite as much attention to ICM as I should. Now, I do pay more attention to it than I used to, but you know that my natural tendency is if it's close at all, I tend to go for it and leave caution to the wind. Well, if you run bad in a few of those throwing caution to the wind spots over the course of a few months, you can very well end up bubbling too many times or just, you know, finishing with like a min cash in a tournament where you actually had a pretty good chance of winning. So uh, those are the holes that you guys know I've been trying to plug in my game, but luck has definitely not been on my side of late. So I'm hoping to change that. I'm going to be here for at least the next four or five days. And, you know, just grinding, playing all these circuit events online. Just trying to keep my confidence up, play my best, and hopefully get that run good going. The bankroll's okay. I'm not in any jeopardy or anything. But uh, if I don't start winning soon, (laughs) we might be singing a different tune. (laughs) And you guys will start getting a daily podcast if I can talk Derek into paying me for uh, five a week instead of one. (laughs) No, I'm only joking around. But uh, yeah, seriously, I would like to bring my A game this weekend to every single tournament I play. So as I'm recording this on Thursday, as soon as I finish making this podcast for you guys, my brain will be in poker mode and I'm going to jump right into the action. So uh, wish me luck. But of course, this podcast isn't about me. It's about you, dear listener. So I want to make sure that you know what's going on in the poker world before we get to some strategy. 
So one thing that's happening that I think is pretty cool is Poker Stars, guys. They're in Michigan, and they, they did a very successful rollout of online poker now being legal in Michigan. And there is a new bill in North Dakota to try to get poker going there as well. It's not just poker, of course. It's online gambling in these states. Uh, you know, the government will never see the difference between a skill game and a game of luck gambling games of chance it's kind of like your friends and family like if you go home for thanksgiving and they say oh you're a poker player that's so cool do you count cards right that's kind of how the government is when it comes to poker they're not going to see the nuance between what we do and what all those guys standing around a craps table do they never will so we we were wrong after black friday the poker world started lobbying immediately to try to get poker reinstated because it's a skill game and you saw this also when uh, DraftKings first started getting up and running years ago they would be very clear this is a skill game it's not a gambling game and it, it just it it didn't really result in them being legalized in places that otherwise would not have legalized them because they just these people see gambling as gambling whether there's skill or luck involved or not. It doesn't matter to a person who has spent the last 50 years writing laws and never repealing them in the United States Congress. So that's just how it is. And it seems to be true in state Congresses as well. So that's just not the right approach. And I think that poker lobbyists have learned that lesson now. And they're no longer trying to convince anyone to allow poker because it's a game of skill. Rather, they're trying to legalize all types of gambling because the governments are broke, because there's been a pandemic for the last 10 months, and that's what's going on. 11 months now, I should say. Yeah, my last comedy show was on March 15th, so that's a long time for me to have gone without performing in person anyway. I mean, I've done a few things over Zoom or whatever, but yeah, it's really not the same. So there we go. There we go. So we're hoping that we can get poker up and running in every state in the union before we all die. So that's the goal, and we'll see if it happens. But the movement is in the right direction, and there's even something going on in Texas where they may allow poker there. Of course, Texas, if you've been watching the news the last few days, you know they have much bigger problems than whether they're allowed to play online poker there or not. And thoughts going to anyone out there that's in Texas or anyone that knows anyone in Texas because it's just uh, a real disaster right now. So uh, I'm thinking about you guys as I cry into my beer about how I haven't cashed in a big tournament in a while. Uh, obviously, many people have much bigger problems and we should always keep that in mind. All right. Well, why don't we delve into some strategy here? I have two hands that I wanted to share with you guys from a tournament that I played on America's Card Room, where, by the way, Chris Moneymaker has recently become a spokesperson. So we joke around with Jonathan Little about calling Derek Tenbush a shill. Well, now he's got the ultimate shill. The Moneymaker himself is an official Team ACR pro or whatever. I, I never understood why they say team, like Team Poker Stars Pro. And back in the day, they had Team Full Tilt 
pro. It, you're not a team. I don't get that. You're not a team. There's no team in poker. But maybe the occasional tag team tournament. But they should just say a poker star's pro. I don't know. It felt more, I guess, community, even though there's no truth to it, to say that this is a team. So back in the day when you would go to the World Series of poker and you'd see everybody with their patches, there was a time maybe around 2006, 2007, when I showed up and everybody was in some kind of gear. You felt like a loser if you didn't have a patch on. I was wearing cake poker, which none of you have heard of. <laughs> but that was my patch <laughs> that I used to wear. Anyway, uh, yeah, those days are pretty much over, aren't they? But we were never a team. Like if I would have won the World Series of Poker main event as a proud member of Team Cake Poker, do you think the rest of the players on my team would have shared in my vic victory in any way? Absolutely not. Uh, I guess you're on the team of the website because that's who you're promoting. All right, so this hand is from a $55 PKO tournament. I like this format a lot because it tends to reward those who are willing to take a chance. And, and as you guys know, that is my, my natural style, as we've talked about many times. So uh, it's early. You start off this tournament with 50,000 in chips. Again, we're on ACR. Uh, I'm not doing particularly well. It's about an hour into the tournament, maybe a little less, 45 minutes or so. And we are down to 46,000. And the blinds are 400, 800 with a 100 ante. So with 2,100 in the pot and Hero has 46,000. So our M is about 22. And we have, what is that, 56 big blinds? Something like that. So we are in second position at a full nine-handed table here on America's Card Room. It's a $55 PKO. So half of the prize pool is bounties which will increase as the tournament goes on. I have Jack 10 of spades, Jack of spades, 10 of spades. So with Jack 10 suited in second position under the gun plus one, we decide to open. Now the solver says we should always open with these suited Broadway hands from early position. As I've mentioned before, if I think my table is at all challenging, I like to fold um, these hands from under the gun and under the gun plus two. And at a really tough table, even under the gun plus three, I would just throw the jack 10 suited, as beautiful as it is, away because I find these hands very difficult to play when you flop a pair and you have to be out of position against one or two callers. It is just a recipe for disaster. And if your opponents are tough, they are going to have a huge advantage over you when they have position. So I try to stick to the old school philosophy of playing a lot more hands in position than I do out of position when my opponents are tough. Um, based on what I learned in the first 45 to 60 minutes of this tournament, I must have felt like this was a uh, not so tough table because I did decide to go ahead and open from second position, just a min raise to 1600. Uh, you could go a little bigger. I, I think it really doesn't make that much difference at this stack depth. Um, just the other players around the table, there is one player on the button 
who has only 20,000 and we have 46,000, but the rest of the players at the table are in our range or they have us very well covered. So there's only one moderately short stack with an M of right around 10. So he's not even that short. So it's not a big deal. We go ahead and raise. Obviously, if there's a lot of heat behind us, a three bet uh, would probably end up throwing this away depending on the sizing. But yeah, we're going to get in there if we can. So we might as well try to get in there pretty cheap. So it folds around to the cutoff, who is the chip leader in the tournament with almost 200,000 in his stack. And he calls, as does the big blind with 40,000 behind. Now let's talk about the player that's in position. He has amassed this massive stack by getting very lucky <laughs> early, early on. I mean, generally speaking, the chip leader after 45 minutes in any given tournament is probably playing too loose. I don't know if you guys will uh, agree with that or immediately see why that's the case, but fundamental theory of poker is kind of dictates that you don't want to get all your chips in without the nuts very early in a tournament. Now, there are exceptions, obviously, if you have just such a draw and you have such a wild opponent or you need to call somebody who overbluffs. But generally speaking, we tend to want to play small to medium pots early on in the tournament. And that's even more true, I believe, in a PKO because it's very hard to bust somebody in the early levels because it's just so hard to get all those chips in even if, even if both players have a big hand. But also, the reward for busting someone on the third or fourth hand of a PKO is nowhere near what that same bust out would be worth later in the tournament. So it actually behooves us to kind of survive in the beginning and just kind of keep up with the average stack as best we can and then take those chances later when those bounties are actually worth it. So if you're playing a PKO and there's a player at your table that shows up with a huge stack, I would not immediately fear that player. I would say there's a decent to good chance that he is making the mistake of playing too loose and he's probably going to get caught sooner or later. So that's been the vibe of this guy as well. And I did have a HUD going, although not that many hands, of course. Um, but yeah, his numbers reflect a very loose and very aggressive style. Now, the big blind is kind of a reg, reg, reg. And by that, I mean he's got just like the exact type of numbers you would expect someone who plays on ACR every day in the $50 tournament world to play. I'm talking about like 19 pre-flop uh, VPIP with a 15 raise and a 2.0 aggression factor and an 8.53 bet, like really reg, reg, reg numbers. So uh, those are our opponents, the big blind and the cutoff, and of course, Clayton in early position. And the flop comes, nine of spades, five of spades, four of diamonds, hero holding the jack of spades and the 10 of spades. So we flopped two over cards and a flush draw. Now, many times you will see a flop like this and think to yourself, I have a flush draw, but it's a nine high flop. So we don't have just a flush draw. We have two over cards. We could very well win this hand 
with a pair of jacks or a pair of tens. We also have three to a straight flush, nine, ten, jack, all spades. So this is a very good flop for our holding. So when the big blind checks, what should we do? Well, the player in position is really aggressive. So this might be a spot to go against everything I just said five minutes ago and build a huge pot without the nuts. Uh, I think that check raising here is a very strong play. There's a lot of logical sense to taking a line like that. Uh, my favorite thing about that is that it does exploit our opponent's natural tendency. The player in position makes one mistake more often than other mistakes. The biggest mistake he makes is that he bets and raises too often when he should check or call. So that's what somebody who's over-aggressive, that's what over-aggressive means. And so if we decide to check it over to him here, we give him the opportunity to make a mistake. And that mistake is trying to bluff into two opponents on this fairly wet board. So we could exploit that mistake by breaking off a nice big fat check raise and having him either have to make a bad call or more often than not, just fold whatever it is that he decided to uh, put in his bluffing range. So I like that play a lot. I didn't make it though. I decided to bet 15.25 into the 6,100 pot. And I like this sizing a lot. I'd like to make this kind of bet with a lot of hands, especially my over pairs, my pocket aces, pocket kings, especially when I have the spade. I might also make this play with ace king with the ace of spades or king of spades. Uh, definitely if I have a pair like pocket eights, I think that's fine to go ahead and bet small on this board and just kind of see what develops. Although I would also sometimes check planning to call with a hand like pocket eights, but I think betting small is also fine. So we're not exactly polarizing ourselves by this small bet. And I think that's what we want to do here. So we're going to have a lot of bluffs and a lot of value when we make this quarter pot bet. Uh, we get a call from the chip leader in position. And then we get another call from the big blind. So everybody called. And now with 10,675 in the pot and hero, actually the big blind is the effective stack. We barely have him covered. He's got about 38,000 now. So 39,000, I should say. So three-handed uh, to the turn and it's the six of hearts. So our board is now nine, five, four, six with two spades. Uh, the big blind checks again. And now the question is, should we bet again? Okay, so the case for betting again is that we can maintain the lead in this pot. Uh, we did make a very small bet on the flop and doing so might entice our opponents to call with a very wide range of hands. And that's why we make a small bet in the first place so that we can make that bet when we're trying to get value for our value hands. Now, this Jack-10 suited on the flop is so strong that it's somewhere between 
a value hand and a bluffing hand. I mean, I guess in in a in a literal sense, it's a bluff because we have jack high. But the hand has so much potential with two more cards to come. We don't really mind getting called in two spots, especially if we can manage to make a flush on the turn. Uh, of course, when that doesn't happen, we now have to reevaluate because the uh, turn is a much worse street for semi-bluffs than the flop. So the six of hearts is not our favorite card. Uh, the Trey Deuce got there, <laughs> which I really don't know if anyone's playing that hand uh, in the cutoff, but certainly uh, a suited three high with uh, the big blind priced in pre-flop. Uh, it's not it's not indefensible that he may have called uh, that min raise and and seen the flop and now he's got the bottom end of a straight. Um, also the eight seven by the same logic could have gotten there on the turn, uh, having a, a gut shot on the flop and having to call a very small bet. So it's just not a card that we were looking for. So the plan. I think should be either to check and call a smallish bet or to make another small bet ourselves. Like we could go ahead and bet a quarter pot again here on the turn. We have plenty of outs, even though the turn did not improve our hand at all. We still have plenty of outs with our flush draw and potentially two live over cards. I mean, we have two over cards. We don't know if they're live or not, but they will be live some of the time, it's fine to go ahead and try to set the price for seeing the river. Uh, I like that idea, and I think that if you do that, somewhere between one quarter and one third of the pot will usually get it done unless someone has a very big hand. Given that so many hands kind of got there on this turn, also a lot of hands improved, like a 6-5 is certainly in both opponents' range. So now that hand would have two pair. Also the straights we already mentioned, the fact that somebody could have a set. It's kind of disastrous to make a smallish bet here and get raised because we will, depending on the sizing, we might be priced in to call that raise. And now we're having to put in way too many chips with one card to come and just a jack high flush draw. Or even worse, a huge raise comes in and then we actually have to throw our hand away which would be uh, pretty disastrous for the situation. So I decided to go ahead and check for all of those reasons and hope that our big stack opponent in position won't bet into two opponents. But my dreams do not come true. He does bet into two opponents, and the sizing is pretty big. Uh, he bets 5,600 into 10,675. So that's just over half the pot, offering us just under three to one on a call. And the big blind folds. Now here's a spot where I was actually hoping he would call because it would make it easier for us to call. Uh, this is pretty close. Like we're not getting the right price to call, right? What I mean is we are a little worse than four to one to hit this flush and we're only getting a little worse than three to one on a call. So the expressed odds that we're getting are not enough. So it's just a question of implied odds at that point. 
also, is there any chance that we might be able to win this hand if we don't make a hand? Uh, can we win this pot without making a hand? I don't know. Maybe we could try to bluff our now lone opponent if a scare card comes off like an ace, I guess. Uh, but I just think he's going to have too many two-pair combos, too many straight combos. Like this board is really straightening out and getting wet. So I don't think that we will be able to bluff very often. So it's just a matter of the three to one that we're getting now, little little below that, plus whether or not we can actually get more value in the long run. What's the average amount of value we'll get those times that we do hit this flush, the implied odds of making a flush. Well, because I think I'm, I'm able to put my opponent on a fairly strong range here, I decided to be optimistic and go ahead and make the call. And now it's just, please come on spade, let's go spade. Because I think that our opponent will often have a straight or a set or two pair, and all of those hands will call some kind of bet on the river more than compensating for the fact that I'm only getting three to one when I need four to one. So we do call and then the river comes and it is the brickiest brick, ugliest card. It's the eight of clubs, guys. So the final board of nine, five, four, six, eight with two spades. And we don't have anything. We have jack high, jack 10 of spades. So I mean, I could try to like represent a seven here and possibly get my opponent to fold a hand like six, five or five, four, or maybe even a slow played over pair. Sometimes you'll see players, I don't understand this, but sometimes you will see players just flat with pocket aces. Theoretically, they should always be building the pot preflop with those hands. It's very often incorrect to slow play aces or kings before the flop. Another way to say it, I guess, is it's almost never correct. <laughs> or it's, yeah, it's not a good idea. So, but you will see players, especially this player profile, like my opponent in this hand, uh, could show up with, with a hand like that. And I think that I could just lead out here on the river and represent that seven and get him to fold all of his one pair hands, including pocket aces, as well as some of his two pair combos, although they will probably sometimes catch my bluff. All things considered, I decided not to try to bluff the chip leader in a, in a bounty tournament, a PKO tournament, especially when I've already basically determined that he's not a very skillful player. So bluffing a loose player is typically not a good idea. So I'm proud to say that's what I did not do. I checked and my opponent bet into 22,000. He bet 16,400. So he either had a seven or something else that he thought was definitely good, or he really, really, really wanted to win this pot. Either way, we're not calling with Jack High and check raising felt suicidal, but just got to throw it away there. Would you have called the turn? Is there any merit to shoving the turn? Or at least making a big check raise on the turn? I guess shoving would have been a little crazy, but putting in a big check raise on the turn. 
I think the turn is the interesting street in this one. I don't know. When we bet so small on the flop, check raising the turn seems a little wild, especially when our opponent, who admittedly is not very good at poker, uh, did bet into two opponents. When the flop gets overcalled and then somebody bets the turn, that's usually a pretty big hand. So, of course, there's no never or always in poker, and maybe check-raising the turn would have worked, but, you know, I, I've been telling you guys week after week, I'm really trying to get away from how can I win every single pot, and that just seemed like a, a crazy, crazy decision, and not really worth it. You know, we still have plenty of chips, even after losing this pot, we still had plenty of chips, we're not in any kind of dire straits, and it's better to just kind of preserve your stack, get to the level where the bounties start getting big, progressively big, and still be around for that that fun in the sun at the end. So, yeah, that was a, a frustrating hand because, I don't know, I'm kind of used to making flushes. Okay, so let's do one more from the same tournament. Uh, this is several hours later. We are... Still not doing particularly well in this thing. We have uh, about 60,000 when the average is 85-ish. So, uh, you know, the good news is we're still here. We're still alive. We're still playing. But, yeah, things are not going great. But they're not too bad either. The blinds are 650 and 1300. And there appears to be some kind of bizarre ante. Yeah, okay, it's 165 ante so there's 1485 in antes plus the 650 small blind and the 1300 big blind so that means there is 3435 in the middle okay yeah i had to i had to take a peek at my screen here to figure that one out we have uh, just under 60,000 in our stack so our m is right around 17 so we're, we're in good shape. We've got over 40 big blinds. We don't have an average stack, but there's no reason to panic. And I tend to overemphasize the importance of keeping up with the average stack, especially in a tournament like this one where collecting the bounties is half of the goal. So because that's where half of the prizes are, it's just in busting people. And if you have a below average stack, that's just fewer people that you'll be able to bust. But that's not a reason to take a lot of unnecessary risks just to try to get up to the average stack. So my attitude here is to try to find spots to be aggressive, but not to give it all away, okay? So a very loose, aggressive player in third position decides to open and he makes it 3250. Remember, blinds are 650 and 1300. So this is a 2.5x open, which is about normal for, for this table. Uh, this, by the way, is not the same table that we talked about in the other hand. Fold to hero Clayton in the cutoff with king, queen, offsuit, king of hearts, queen of diamonds. Okay, so the original Razor has just a few more chips than we do. Uh, the rest of the table mostly has us covered, but there are three stacks smaller than our stack. And 
only one of those stacks is still yet to act behind us. The others have already folded. So that player has about half of what we have. So his M is about eight, which is a perfect stack to three bet shove, especially when it goes raise call in front of you. That's the stack size you want to have for a lot of your three bet shoving range when you're kind of in that, what Harrington used to call the orange zone. Uh, I'm not sure if this player is thinking that way, but just looking at the numbers, at the time of this raise, there's about 6,700 in the middle. And if we just call that, we'll put it right around 10,000. And the player on the button has only 29,000 in his stack. So that would be three times the pot, which is about right for wanting to pull the old squeeze play. All that to say, we don't want to give him that opportunity if he's aware that it is an opportunity. We're not going to base our whole decision on that, but that is something to consider and something that I do look at when deciding whether to three bet or flat. We're going to play this hand, right? We're not planning to throw this one away. I think that's a little tight given that we have late position and that he is such a loose opener. Um, this player has been loose and aggressive, as I mentioned. So we want to play hands against him when we have position and we have a hand worth playing. And I think King-Queen is definitely in that category. Uh, so it just becomes to call or three bet. And it's pretty close, but I think that one other factor to consider, besides the fact that the short stack might shove, putting us in a tough spot where we'll probably end up folding the king-queen, but it will prove to have been a bad fold too often. So I just don't like to be in those spots where you're kind of uh, between a rock and a hard place, right? You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like sometimes you're going to call and then he'll turn over ace-king, which is definitely in the three betting range. But with his stack and given the amount in the middle, once we call, he should be shoving a wide range, probably pocket sevens and up, probably ace jack, ace 10. They're probably all profitable. Maybe even some hands worse than that are profitable. And against that range, king queen is a call. And since we don't know this opponent well enough to know whether he's going to have the right kind of frequencies, we're going to basically be guessing for half our stack whether it's correct to call with king-queen or not against his shoving range. So why set him up for such a beautiful spot when we can actually take control? And if you're still not convinced, I have one more factor that I want to address, which is if we just call and everyone else folds, uh, that's going to create an SPR disaster for us because there'll be 10,000 in the middle and we'll have 55,000 in our stack. You hate having that SPR of anywhere between three and six, especially when you have a hand that is most likely to make one pair. That is why I decided to solve both of these problems with one beautiful three bet. Now, I think that the three bet itself speaks volumes, so the sizing is not that important. Uh, I'm not going to do a click back like a min three bet here. I want to have some kind of fold equity versus the original razor, but I actually think that king-queen is doing pretty well 
against his opening range, even when that range calls a small to medium-sized three bet, will be in position and will usually have a pretty good handle on what's happening. And being in position will also be able to control the pot better post-flop. When we get the top pair and we have an SPR that's more like two or three, that's what we want to do. So that's why we three bet and we made it 10,700. So the original raise to 3,250 and we bump it up to 10,700. Uh, it folds all the way back to the original raiser who calls as expected. And now look what we've set up. There's 24,000 in the middle. Hero with 49,000 in the stack. So we've got an SPR of two, which is the kind of stack to pot ratio that works best when we make a top pair, as we do on the flop of queen, nine, seven, queen of spades, nine of spades, seven of clubs, hero holding king of hearts, queen of diamonds. And naturally, our opponent checks to the razor. And now we should bet, right? We want to protect our hand. There are so many draws available on such a wet board. Queen, nine, seven with two spades. And especially with us not being able to pick up any type of draw on the turn. Well, that's actually not true. A jack or a 10 would actually give us a gut shot. So uh, I, I, I want to correct myself on that. But still, many of those jacks or 10s will be spades. And we just don't really want to see uh, a spade come off. And then we might lose control of the, of the pot, which is not what you want to do. Once you've taken the reins and you three bet pre, go ahead and fire when you hit your top pair card. So I did something a little cutesy here. I decided to bet 8,500 into the 25,000 pot, uh, 24,000 pot. I'm doing a little bit of rounding here, guys. Apologize for that. Um, yeah, so I bet 85 into 24, which is a pretty small bet, especially given the fact that I had raised to 10.7 pre-flop. So now my flop bet is actually smaller than my three bet. So by all accounts, this is a very small bet. One third of the pot. Something I wouldn't have done a year or two ago, but I'm starting to learn about polarized versus condensed. Uh, you know, these are the kind of theoretical things that I've been working on in my study of the works of the great Andrew Brokus, who is a TPE coach, and I hope you're familiar with him as a TPE member. And if you're not, you can become one for as little as $25 a month with your annual subscription at Tournament pokeredge.com. So on this board, I want to get action from worse hands. And right now we have a pair of queens with a king kicker. We want to be able to get action from all the flush draws, straight draws, gut shots, maybe even ace-x sometimes, like if it's an ace-ten of spades. I mean, well, ace-ten of spades, obviously, but ace-ten with the ace of spades might actually call this small bet. And we welcome that call because that hand is drawing pretty slim against our pair of queens, at least here on the flop. Now, if another spade comes off on the turn, that hand improves a lot, and that's the kind of action we want. We want those hands to be optimistic and make that call when they are drawing slim. Now, if we overbet here, then we can't get called by worse, and that's where you become polarized. So looking to squeeze a little value out of my pair of queens, and then on a safe turn card, I would be going more for protection because at that point, we're going to have about a pot size bet left 
in the old stack and on a safe turn card, we're going to want to try to pre- prevent our opponent from sucking out and price him out of all of his draws, assuming nothing comes in on the turn. So that's the game plan, a small bet now, and then a shove on the turn. So we make this 8,500 bet and get called. So we're happy. And now with 41,000 in the middle, the turn card is the eight of hearts. So the board is now queen, nine, seven, eight with two spades. And Hero has the king of hearts, queen of diamonds. So uh, this is a very unwelcome card, this eight of hearts. The jack 10 got there. The six, five got there. It's just really not a welcome sight at all. Uh, We're glad it's not a spade, obviously, but we were looking for like a deuce of hearts here on the turn to feel comfortable shoving. So our opponent checks to us again here on the turn, and now it's up to Hero whether or not to bet again. Well, when he checks again, I think my pair of queens is good a lot, but now it's even harder for me to get value from worse. So I decide to check it back, and now if he checks again on the river, uh, maybe I can try to squeeze out a little more value depending on the river, maybe try to get a little bit more action, hoping we can get a curious call from a hand like 10-9 or ace-9 or ace-7. Those kind of hands might be able to give us action. Obviously, queen-jack, queen-10 are also never folding, but we know where two of the queens are, so it's a little hopeful to think that our opponent might have a third one. There's only four in the whole deck. So possible, but unlikely. But yeah, obviously we'd love to get action from a queen that is outkicked. So we decide to check and see what develops on the river. Uh, Isn't that interesting how on the flop the plan was to shove on a safe turn card, and now the turn card is so ugly that I decided to just go ahead and pump the brakes altogether. Now the river, if things were not ugly enough, the river is the tray of spades. For a final board of queen, nine, seven, eight, tray with three spades. So all kinds of straights came in. The flush has come in. And Hero, who set himself up perfectly to have such a great SPR of two, is now sitting here with a pair of queens and a king kicker on this dangerous looking board and a pot size bet behind. Villain bets 16,000 into the 41,000 pot that we're getting. Really attractive pot odds on one hand. Uh, This bet offers us about 3.6 to 1. So that's pretty good. I mean, if my hand is good one time out of four and a half, then I have a break-even call. So another way of expressing that would be if we can call and win 22% of the time, then we should. I think it's close to that. I mean, this is a loose, aggressive opponent, remember. That scare card is just as scary for him as it is for me, right? He knows that's the kind of card that that he can bluff, especially when he may have felt emboldened by the fact that we checked the turn. So that may have empowered him. And he can say, hey, you know what? How much can Clayton have? He, He should have gotten committed to this pot on the turn, and he decided not to. And now the scare card comes in. And so this opponent may be sophisticated enough 
to decide to bluff here, especially with Ace-X, where Ace is a spade. So he knows he's blocking the nut flush, for example. Uh, we did say that he might have played Ace-10 this way on the flop if he had the Ace of Spades. Now, he doesn't have that many Aces of Spades in his range because there aren't that many Aces of Spades in the deck. There's only one last time I checked. But he could have other bluffs as well. And so I just think it's a little bit of a nightmare spot and why I wanted to discuss it on the podcast. I think this is a fold. I think against most opponents, even your run-of-the-mill lag opponents, this is a fold. If our opponent bluffs here and loses, he's going to have 30000 in his stack. And if he just doesn't bet, he can preserve his stack. And some people play this way. Like they're more concerned with not losing their chips than they are with finding good spots to bluff. Most players don't bluff often enough. Hashtag they always have it. And so this is a hand where I did kick myself because I made the call and I think I was just a little too curious and curiosity killed the cat. Our opponent turns over jack of spades, 10 of diamonds. So he flopped an open-ended straight draw and turned the straight and then after it went check check on the turn which is where he made his hand he decided to go for value despite the fact that the flush came in on the river um, I think his call pre-flop is a little bit silly uh, I think if you raise from early middle position with uh, jack 10 offsuit and someone three bets you just throw that hand away guys you know especially with these stacks I don't think it's really uh, wise to be calling you're just going to be in such bad shape against so much of your opponent's uh, three betting range and your stack is too short to get away from when you make a relatively strong hand like a pair of jacks so yeah that feels like a big mistake on his part that obviously worked out and maybe blocking the flush with that jack of spades helped him to go for value there on the river but it feels like he bet small because he wasn't sure if I would show up with a flush or not. But let's be honest, if I go all in on the river, he's never folding a straight, especially not when he has a spade in his hand. But that's the way that one went. And I think going forward, unless I know someone is sophisticated enough and strong enough of a tournament player to bluff on the river, I'm just going to err on the side of folding these spots. I mean, I was getting a pretty good price. You don't have to be good that often. 22% isn't really a lot. But there are other things to factor in. It's not a cash game. And losing those chips at this stage of the tournament where we're probably, I don't know, maybe like 100 or 150 spots out of the money is pretty brutal. And so I went from a slightly below average stack to a well below average stack and ended up not cashing in this tournament. This hand was pivotal to my demise. Love to get your thoughts on it and any other thoughts you may have on what's going on in poker right now, uh, legalization around the country, various heads-up challenges that are being uh, <laughs> promised, but many of them will not be delivered. And, uh, of course, any other thoughts that you might want to share on Twitter at Clayton Comic. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge... I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening.
Fold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Love nobody. Everybody, everybody. 